This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Known and Never podcast. I'm your host Natalie Bromley and joining me as ever is regular panellist James Bird. James, good evening. Good evening, Natalie. Hello, hello. Um, We have another jam-packed session to talk to you about this evening. Um, Again, for the second time this month, we've got two fixtures, which is kind of unheard of in the Premier League, but we have got a bumper episode to talk about a Stoke game and a Brighton game. Um, So I'm going to jump straight in there and let's get us um, on the move. James, just before we do get into detailed analysis about the games, we've had four points in the last week, uh, seven from the last three games. How are you feeling generally across the board about Burnley's last couple of weeks? Uh, pretty good, to be honest. Um, I, I think anyone who isn't is, uh, I, I don't know, uh, probably probably suffering from, you know, sad at this time of year, maybe. Um, I, I think it, it's sensational if you'd you know, said this at the beginning of the season that uh, we'd be coming up to the Christmas period. Looking back on a, a run like this, I think you'd... Uh, I've told someone to just to, to stop dreaming, but um, it's been sensational. Um, I think I was saying to someone today at work, it, it's really weird that, um, you know, Saturday evening I was sort of thinking I was a little bit disappointed to only get a point away at Brighton. Um, and obviously I think coming into the season, you thought Brighton were one of the teams who'd be uh, looking to, to try and stay up. But at the same time, you thought we were probably going to not be too far ahead, maybe, you know, bottom third um so to actually be in the top third and you know considering those those teams as uh teams we should easily be picking three points up against is a bit of an alien feeling it's uh i'm not sure it's really actually properly sunk in or uh it, it doesn't properly feel right i think i'm still waiting for that moment we uh implode and completely forget how to play football but you know, see every game that goes by um, it looks less and less likely and I think it's you know a testament to the, the work Dash has done and you know I think it's going to be interesting to see just what we can do over this busy period that's about to come up. Yeah you're right I mean it's, it's just been dreamland hasn't it it's just been the most incredible week we've had just culminating in such a massive high after the Stoke game. But it's not just the points and the performances for me. I mean, we've also had three back-to-back clean sheets as well, which is just absolutely incredible. And um, Burnley are now sitting on a um, joint record of the least goals conceded in a game. And it's just it's just incredible. And, and if you think about it, it's, just, it's such an excellent return for this Burnley side. And, and if you count the league without Manchester City in it, because they're just dominating everything, 
we're just the informed side. It, it's it's absolutely fantastic, James. I completely agree with you. I, I feel like I have to pinch myself all the time. But let's move on and let's actually have a look at these games in a little bit more depth. And we start at Turf Moor, where Burnley entertained a very, very troubled Stoke side who haven't had the best of, of starts to this season. Um, it was an awful night at Turf Moor. Um, the conditions were absolutely terrible. I think most of us who were at that game are still thawing out right now. It was one of those just horrible East Lancashire winter nights with the horizontal wind and rain blowing in your face and just freezing cold conditions. And it really, really impacted on the style of play and the ability of both sides to be able to carve out too many chances. So I think that's where I wanted to start this week's game. James, you know, I mean, it just wasn't the best of first half, was it? Burnley didn't really get um, a good start on the game. There was very little by way of chances. Are we putting all of this down to the really bad conditions at Turf Moor? Do you think there was also a little bit of, of out of sorts from that side? Um, I think I said on Twitter at the time that uh, to someone we were misplacing passes and I said, you, you've got to put it down a little bit to the challenging conditions. Um, they disagreed. I, I think um, we did look a little bit out of sorts uh, with regards to our passing game, but a, a lot of it, I think you can put down to the weather. It was awful um, wind, really bad conditions to be sort of putting the ball up in the air. And, and on occasions we, we still were. I mean, you see... Uh, Nick Pope, his kicking's been, I think, pretty solid since he's come into the side. Uh, he was struggling uh, with his kicking. The you know the wind was really picking the ball up, and I think um, it took a little bit, a little bit of time for both sides to realise that uh, the ball really needs to be on the deck on uh, on an out like that. I mean, um, just thinking back to how, how cold it was, I'd actually forgotten, and uh, until I was sort of sat down thinking about uh, you know what's happened over the last week but I can't remember the last time I was, I was that cold at, at the turf and uh, I think I can only remember one time when the weather was worse and I can't remember what year it was but it was pretty sure it was New Year's Day against Leicester and the game got abandoned after like 19 minutes um, that's the last time I can remember weather that was that grim at, at the turf um, pretty brutal for me I, I did quite a long week at work this week so to finish early that day go back to the turf freeze to death, get home, wait, and then have to get up the next day. Um, I wasn't prepared to get out of bed, I don't think, because uh, <laughs> as you said, I was definitely still falling out the morning yeah, after. I'd, me too, me I'd, too. <laughs> I didn't have any feeling in my feet by the time the game was <laughs> I don't think any of us did. <laughs> it was a bit dreary, just all around the game. You know, the, the passing, as I've just commented on, uh, wasn't at its best. And I just don't think it was much of an entertaining spectacle. Um, but I think any game where you get a late winner like that, it's just you know so sensational, like the the um, game, don't you? It, it's the same with anything. Just that those, I just don't think you can beat a late winner. Uh, a late winner must be the greatest thing in football. I think it might actually be the greatest thing in life, not just in football, <laughs> but in any anything where up until the last minute it looks like you're not going to get the result you wanted, and then it just turns. It just instantly you forget how grim the rest of it was and how cold you were and you just come away bouncing yeah you do i'm not entirely sure where i'm going to go with this podcast now because james bird has just declared that it's the, that a, a late winner is the best thing in life i think we might have peaked six minutes into the podcast james just be very careful here <laughs> our listeners have got nowhere to go from this um I, I agree with all of that i think that the you know the game itself was pretty dreary and it was it was getting very very hard to stick behind the lads and you wanted to give them that motivation and the cheering and the backing that they needed to get them through it because they must have been suffering as well on that pitch um but I just it wasn't just the conditions and, and the pass 
passing. I thought they looked a little bit fatigued in that first half, if I'm honest. Um, they looked like perhaps the the um, quick run of games had maybe taken a little bit of a toll on them. Um, I don't know if that's completely off the mark because I think, you know, Deitch does tell us how fit this side is and, you know, the fitness levels generally, but also how much this side are used to and enjoy playing back-to-back games. So maybe that's just me reading into something that it wasn't there. Um Second half saying that was was much, much better. But I think the interesting thing about the second half for me, um, which brings me on to the second point we're going to talk about with this game, is the defence. By the time the game finished and by the time Ashley's net buster of a goal went into the back of the net, um, Burnley actually only had one of their first choice back five playing and actually a completely different back five than we played at any point last season obviously with Pope in the nets we had Bardsley and Charlie Taylor um, down either side with um, Long and Tarkovsky in the middle now despite that despite the massive change in personnel and despite perhaps um, a nervousness around players who hadn't played together for a significant period of time once again we're saying it um, another game the defence did absolutely fine. Um, I'm going to concentrate firstly, though, on on Charlie Taylor because clearly that was his Premier League debut um, in the Stoke game. James, I thought he did really well. I think he looked a little nervous, but I'm not too concerned um, because it's always going to be. You're not 100% prepared to come on, are you, when you're on the bench? And it's his first game in, in, in quite a big game as well with Burnley you know, riding high and a Champions League spot, albeit for 24 hours, up for grabs. But I was impressed with the young lad. How did you think? That's the first time I've actually seen him for us in person. Um, I wasn't able to make the the Leeds Cup game, so it was it was good good to see him. Um, you know, I've obviously seen bits of him before. It, he just looks so so good going forward, and I think um, you're right. He did look a little nervy, and I think the conditions didn't help again because I think we'd seen a few times, particularly early in the game, where players sort of miscontrolled the ball. I think not expecting it to be. Uh, quite so slick, so difficult to handle. So I think, you know, partly he's a little bit nervous, obviously, about miscontrolling something. Um, but once he, he got going, I mean, you know, I I, I think he's going to be a hell of a weapon when he eventually disperses Ward. And, you know, you, you look at what's happened uh, with Bardsley on the right-hand side, um, maybe a little unfair on, on Lawton. I think it's, it's rare that a, a player under dice loses a spot due to injury. But obviously, Bardsley has been Fantastic. And I think if Ward's injury, um, you know, takes him past Boxing Day and, and Taylor continues to show the, you know, the, the form he has uh, in, in his brief opportunity, I think we could see the, the same on the left-hand side as well. And uh, Ward's struggling to get back in the side. Um, it, it's good for the future, though, because I've, you know, what he did last season at Leeds with Ward, uh, he provided a lot of the goals and, um it could be interesting to see if that relationship can can spark again at the higher level for us, because um, I would like to see us score a little bit more. We obviously talked about our great our defensive, but we're still maybe lacking a couple of, couple of goals from our game. Um, so anything that can you know work to wood strengths, I think, would be fantastic for us. But it's absolutely sensational what you're saying there about the defence. And I think it's real testament to the work that Sean Dash has done on the training ground with them. Um, you know, the fact that anyone's ready to come step into the side, play the way that they're expected to, and it continues to work, it, it's almost seamless. Um, you know, if you said to someone who hadn't watched many of our games this season uh, and they, you know, they watched that last sort of 10, 15 minutes and you saw this isn't our normal defence, I think they would have been like, oh, well, how many of them aren't, aren't normally playing? 
because it just looked seamless. You would have thought that they were the first choice players and uh, they were playing the way they had all season looking at our record. Yeah, it really does, doesn't it? It's just, I think we've talked about it for about three or four simultaneous podcasts now, haven't we? That um, Just the way that these players are just slotting in and just picking up the baton and, and it's seamless. It really is. It's it's like it doesn't matter who is playing. It, it's like we have a, an interchangeable defensive unit and that must be deliberate and it must be something that Sean Dyche is, is very, very pleased with at the moment. Um, I, I agree with everything that you said. I think that the key thing, just to pick up on what you said then, James was I sorry was the lack of goals point I completely agree I still think that we need um, to progress in terms of goals I didn't think we had an awful lot in us last season in terms of goals and this season we don't either now that's fine because we're just finding different ways to play and we're finding different days to ways to win but there are going to be certain pressure points during a season where goals are going to be needed and I would like to see us be a little bit more um, ruthless in front of goals so i don't think I'd fully appreciated the relationship between Charlie Taylor and Chris Wood last season. So if that is something that um, can be reinforced and, um, you know, put forward again at turf. And I, I think Stephen Wood might be in real trouble for his space here. Um, Moving away from the defence, I think, as expected, our field slotted in again for Robbie Brady. I don't want to pin too much time on this, actually, James, because I think we covered this in detail last season. But last season? Nope, last week. <laughs> Burnley fans, I'm getting your um, timelines completely skewed today. This is not boarding well since we're only 12 minutes in. Um, last week, we talked at length, obviously, about our field coming in. Um, again, pretty solid performance from me. I'm not I'm not too concerned at the moment with that left wing. Um, I'm pretty feeling pretty confident that... that our uh, field's going to do the job for us until the January transfer window. Have you got any concerns? Or are you quite happy for us to wait to see what happens? Um, I, th- I think obviously I wouldn't be rushing out to go by uh, by a player at all costs and, and you know getting someone who's not a good fit just for the sake of it. Our field's come in; he's done really well. I think um, you know that that time on the sidelines has probably done him good. To be honest, he's he's coming with a fire and he's playing with it. Um, you know, I think he's one of those people who maybe people are just going to continually write him off and he's going to continually prove people wrong. And that, that's a good thing. Um, you know, if, if I ever write him off and say he could, you know, he should never play for us again, I'd love for him to come back the next game and score a hat-trick. Um, you'll never find me complaining about something like that. Um, I think early in the season, you know, we talked about it a bit on the podcast. He looked a lot better in the middle, and we sort of wondered whether he'd be able to do it again for us on the on the on the wide in the wide positions. But he's proved now when we need him that he he can still do it. And um, you know, as long as that continues, I think you know there's going to be no one who's uh, displeased. But at the same time, I, I think we will be looking for a winger in January. Um, but it, it might be that they come in and they have to bide the time and, you know, wait for Alfield to make a mistake or wait for them to come on and have a real impact on a game. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's have a look at the last three minutes of the game then because there's not an awful lot more to talk about from, from that performance at Turf Moor. It was uh, it was gritty, but it wasn't um, the most prettiest of footballs, I think that's fair to say. And I, and I don't mean that in any way to be disrespectful, but I don't think there was a, a massive amount of talking point other than what we've covered. Let's talk about Ashley Barnes, um, a player who tends to dip in and out of fan favouritism. Sometimes he is um, absolutely glorified when he comes up with an absolutely key vital goal for us, of which there have been many, I would add. And other times he's maybe criticised as being not quite good enough for what we need now and where we've progressed and should be being you know, offloaded to a, a lower club where he can carry on his career. 
And it just it very much depends on whether or not he's just scored an absolutely vital goal for us. James Ashley just comes up, doesn't he, at times, and he scored some massive goals for Burnley. Um, and and the last few games when he's come on and, and played um, up, up front, especially when Vox has come on as well, he's genuinely looked like he's going to create something. I think he's a really strange player, his uh, Barnes. I think he's just impossible to categorise. Um, sometimes he comes on and I think he's just just a nuisance and just makes life difficult for defenders, but doesn't necessarily look like he's going to do much. Then other times he comes on and he's maybe a little bit less of a nuisance to defenders, but he's still, you know, he's still competing, he's still competitive, he's still frustrating them, but he's not quite, I think, focusing on uh, putting them off as much. And he just gets those chances that I think some players miss, but he just, he has a knack for the big goal. Um, you know, as soon as that ball came through to him against Stoke, you just knew he was going to score. You knew he was going to score. You knew he was going to hit it basically as hard as he could and it was going to go in. And there's, there's just something about his game that he, he just has those big goals in him. Um, it's great. I think you can apply this to actually several players in the, the Burnley, Burnley team. On paper, is he a, a player who's playing for a team that are in the, the top third of the Premier League? Probably not. Um, but, you know, as it said many times, luckily football's not played on paper. I think he's got that desire that uh, a lot of players in the Premier League lack, I think, through, you know, the 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 money they earn, the, you know, the talent they, they have, the talent that they believe they have. They just don't have the, the same fire. They sort of expect goals to come. Um Whereas I think Barnes goes looking for them, he, he goes looking for them, he goes looking for opportunities, he goes looking for ways to make a difference for his team. And he just definitely has that knack, comes up with the big goals. And as long as he does that, uh, you know, you really can't complain. Um, and to that end, I, I really do prefer it when I see him come on um, late in the game. Because to me, he feels like a, an impact player, a player who's going to steal you a goal in a game that maybe shouldn't have a goal. Um, you know, I, I think the game against Stoke really had nil nil written all over it. Um, on the whole, we were probably marginally the better team, uh, but I didn't really think we saw an awful lot of great football played by either side. Um, <laughs> Understatement of the season. <laughs> yeah, but, but he's he's come on and he's he's stolen a game, and um, you know you need players in your squad who can do that because uh, you, you've seen it time and time again. You know a lot of the great teams of the Premier League era, sort of you know United under Fergie, that they've just been able to grind games out and, and get dirty wins. And um, I think a lot of finishing in the in the top third of the Premier League is about winning those dirty games, the the games that you you don't want comfortable in and the games that are difficult and yeah. finding a way to to steal one no win and and Barnes, I think, is the master of doing it. Yeah, it really is. I couldn't agree more. I, I think you're absolutely spot on. And it's it's perhaps something that Burnley have either been naive about in previous seasons or just not quite fully developed the talent to be able to do it yet. And I think more and more we see this side this season, the more and more we realise that actually we're not, it's not a fluke where we are. These results aren't a fluke. We are there because we have naturally evolved into a good mid-table Premier League side and we absolutely deserve to be where we are right now. Um, I agree with you. I think I think probably nil-nil was a fairer result, I think, with uh, Stoke edging the first half, but us edging the second half. But you know what? I, I th- the biggest thing for me was that I think Hughes 
Hughes came to Turf Moor on Tuesday and set up for a nil-nil draw. And actually, I completely understand why. His side have struggled recently and they've been on the back end of um, some really difficult and, and heavy defeats. So it wouldn't surprise me if his entire tactics was to get um, his side to Turf Moor, shut up shop, try and keep a clean sheet and just get a vital away point away from home just to get a little bit of confidence back into his side, get a little bit of more discipline back into his side and you know move on from there. The problem with that strategy, and we saw this a lot with Sean Dyche last year away from home, is if you play for a nil-nil draw in the Premier League, it pretty much always fails. And even though a draw was probably a fairy result on reflection, there was only one side and only one manager trying at least to win the game, and that was Dyche. At least we were pressing forward and we were trying to find um, a, a winning goal, even with, albeit with, I guess, um, varied... Uh, types of chances you know it wasn't always varying degrees of success I think is the expression I'm looking for there um, but you know they, they went for it and, and I think this was very much reflected in, in Mark Hughes's post-match interview where he came out and he was whinging and was talking a lot about how Burnley didn't deserve that win and everybody could see that and you think well you know you didn't either you know you didn't do anything to win the game and he actually came out with a really weird comment where he said that um Burnley play percentages and the our entire basically our entire strategy is based on the fact that we we hope and pray that something will fall for us at some point in the season and we'll take it and he, you know he came out and said that it's it's falling for us at the moment and, and we, we I think he said um we're making a habit of it in terms of, of playing that percentage and coming on the good side of it James I, I I think I saw you tweet this actually and I agreed with you and he said that it sounded like a man who was under pressure and it came out as fighting talk I think Mark Hughes has that streak in him doesn't he where he tends to get a little bit petulant a bit petty when um, the, the, you know the chips are down and he's, he's he's trying to deflect pressure away from himself but I, even with my claret tinted glasses on I'm not entirely sure I agree with that I don't think Burnley just play percentages I, I'm surely you you disagree with that as well um Yes and no. First thing I say, yeah, that is what I said on Twitter. And I think, it, to me, that is a comment that sounds like a man who's realised he's about to lose his job. Um, Burnley aren't lucky to be where they are. They're where they are because of the way they play and the way they play gets results. Um, as for playing percentages, I think in the way he meant it, no, absolutely not. He made it sound like we just sort of wait for an opportunity and then steal a game and, and there's, it's undeserved. Um, I think that's entirely wrong. Uh, the way we do play percentages though is the way we defend. Um, you know, we defend to limit teams to poor quality shots. So we give up the, might not still be the, the case, but obviously a couple of weeks ago we talked about the New York Times article um, and at that stage we gave up the most goals in the league. But we also gave up the the lowest quality. Sorry, the the we gave up the most shots in the league, but we also gave up the lowest quality of shot, uh, and that's playing percentages. You know, the way we defend is that we know if you limit teams to to attempts from 30, 30 plus yards, the chance of those going in is so much you know less than if you're giving a team opportunities from in and around the 16-yard area, uh, you know, 16-yard mark. So, yeah, to that extent, we do play percentages. But the way that Hugh said it was as a Burnley don't play football, which is, you know, obviously absolute nonsense. And, and to me, absolutely smacks of a man who uh, realises his time's up. Um, you know, the fans don't 
don't support him. Uh, from what I'd heard, didn't support him towards the end of last season either. Uh, he took off their best player. I mean, you can't really talk about another team um, not being deserving of their place when you're there and you're in a game that you're very much still in with a chance of, of stealing and you take off a player who's playing the way Shakiri was. He, he looked like he had the the you know the the best um creative spark in their side. He was the one who like if something was going to happen for them it was going to come through him. Uh, and he, he took him off. And I think you know th- their fans summed it up when they, they sang you don't know what you're oh, doing. Yeah they um, were mad didn't they when that happened. And I think a few of their fans probably would have been embarrassed by the, the comments he made about Burnley. I'm, I'm sure some probably agree because, you know, we're not the most fashionable side for other teams' fans to like um, for the way we play. But it, it just smacks of, you know, looking for excuses. I think, you know, anyone who's seen us, anyone who's looked at the way we play knows that we are where we are through merit. And, yeah. um, you know, we've earned every point we've got on the board so far. I thought it was quite bad timing from him as well because at the time he chose to come out with that little swipe at Burnley, the entire nation was in the middle of a, a Leicester-esque uh, loving for Burnley. Everybody was going mad. The media were giving us so much um, praise and everyone was talking about it and the fans were euphoric and there was everybody apart from Mark Hughes just sat in the corner sulking because in criticising the way Burnley played. And I think the Stoke fans were just like shut up you idiot like you're making yourself sound like an idiot because everybody's just so happy and everybody's so pleased for what Burnley have done and which brings us quite nicely on to the end of the Stoke game which saw Burnley move into fourth place in the Premier League their highest position I think since 1945 I'm sure Papa Bird will be able to, to correct that if I'm wrong but it was just such a euphoric moment I think we were all we all kind of had our, our Burnley fan heads on I think before the game because we'd seen that stat about the, I think, I don't think Stoke have won away from home on a Tuesday night for something ridiculous like 53 matches, which went stretched all the way back to 19 or six or something silly, like a, a long time anyway. And um, so, yeah, you add to that, it's it, Burnley and, you know, Stoke hadn't won all these games. Stoke were under pressure. Burnley were riding high. And um, if Burnley won, they would move into fourth position in the, in the Premier League. And I think everybody just went, well, there's, there's just no way we're going to win this game. But it happened. Ashley Barnes stepped up, won that game for us. And for 24 hours, our little club was sitting in a Champions League place, mixing it up with the big boys in the Premier League. And I didn't want to let this podcast pass without just reflecting on that because it's an incredible achievement for all of us. And it's something that most of us never, ever thought we would see. And James... You must have been the same as me. I, I struggled to sleep after that game. I just had the biggest smile on my face ever. And it's, it's you know, I took a st- screenshot of, of the of the league and you just think, are we ever going to see this again? And, and it was amazing, wasn't it? It was just such a good feeling. Well, I'll start by answering the last thing you said there. And yes, we will on uh, Boxing Day after we've dispatched Man United. So, oh, I love um, it. <laughs> I think it, you know, it's sensational and... Um, Obviously, the age I am, just 27. I, I don't remember Burnley being in, you know, the sort of positions they've been in in the past. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of people I've spoken to, people, um, you know, in my cycling club, when I say I'm a Burnley fan, uh, you know, older guys talk about back in the 60s, you know, when Burnley were a big, big side, um, you know, played football the right way, uh, developed their own players. And, and people talk about, you know, the, the side we were, how big we were. And it's one of those things that I think since, you know, we were last there in, in the early seventies, 
people just had never expected us to get back. Uh, you know, we've where we've been down to almost, you know, not not existing in the league anymore. Um, even in recent seasons, to be honest, when it was, you know, do or die in the, the playoff final, we could have easily gone bust if we didn't get the result we needed. Um, to have gone from those sort of scenarios to where we are now, it, it it's unbelievable. Um, particularly when you look at football these days, how, you know, money generated it is. And I, I saw the other day, I can't remember the exact figures, but... Um, our wage bill last year was 29 million, something along those lines. Um, and, you know, they were looking at the teams around us and the, the lowest budget of the teams around us was Spurs on 100 million. Um, so even the lowest around us, we were less than a third of the amount they spent. I think that shows you, you know, what a fantastic job Sean Dash has done. I'm sure this season our wage bill is higher than it was last year. You know, obviously we signed some, some pretty good players who were probably on, you know, pretty good salaries, but it's still not even going to be a half of, of what Spurs are spending, which is sensational. You know, when you look at what, what we're doing and um, I think the longer it, it goes on, uh, it, it's not going to feel any less special uh, being in this sort of position. Oh, indeed. But as much as I would love to sit here and just dwell on Burnley's um, top four placing for 24 hours unfortunately we do need to move on because we have another game that we need to discuss as Dyche told us we had to do we have to enjoy the moment but then move on and prepare for the next game which is equally as important as the last this Saturday the Clarets went away from home down to Brighton um, to enjoy Brighton's first season in the Premier League it was always going to be a tricky fixture but the Clarets came away with a very valuable point we've often talked on this show about how an away point is is just as important as, as any point in the Premier League because it's very tough to go away in this division and win, and, and win away from home. Um, so, yes, the Clarets got a point. James, again, same, similar to Stoke, really not at the races at all in that first half. Um, just, again, I guess it, I don't want to repeat what we talked about for the Stoke game, but was it, again, a little bit of tiredness? Was it maybe a little bit of a hangover from the joys of Tuesday night? But I, I, th- I thought we really didn't perform very well in that first half at all. Uh, I'm not sure. I think it was, you know, every team is going to have off games every now and then. And to be honest, I'm just kind of glad we got it out of the way at, at Brighton um, before we, we go and have, you know, such big games of Spurs at home and, and Man United at their place. Um, to come out of a game where universally almost everyone said we, we played poor uh, with a point, I think is a, a big positive. Um it's a ground as well where we've not really had the the greatest of luck, uh, to be honest. So, um, I'd, I'd say it was one of those games. You know, you've gone in. We've we've not played as well as we know we can, um, but we've come away with a result that you know, I think in the Premier League, for, for a team like us, as long as you you don't lose um, your away games, you, you you're going to be pretty happy. I mean, until obviously we sort of this season fantastic and now um, our expectation level is a little bit higher but previously if you'd said oh we'll go away and get a draw um, with the way our away wet has been in previous years I'm pretty sure people have been snapping hands off just to make sure it wasn't uh, a string of defeats like we've had before away from home um, but it's just a, a strange one I think you know we we've just not looked at ourselves I don't know whether it's a hangover from Tuesday night or, you know, from not feeling, you know, the excitement of being where we are in the league. Or, 
I think at the end of the day, just these things happen in sport, and you know every team's gonna have an off day from uh, from time to time, and uh, we should just be glad that we got away with it and we can move on to Saturday. Yeah, I think so. Like you say, just getting that point away from home in not the best of circumstances is is really important. I think I think we were fine by the second half. I just think the first half performance was pretty poor. Um, first thing that I want to sort of focus on for the Brighton game was something that quite surprised me really in that we were told in the build-up to the game that both Matt Lawton and Ben Mee were available for selection and would be travelling down to Brighton. I was really surprised to see Bordsley keep his place. Now, we don't know yet whether or not this is a tactical um, decision or whether or not Dyche just felt like he wanted to give Lawton one more game to recover, but get him on the bench to get him back into into match sharpness again. Um, that said, I've, I've been really impressed with with Barsley at right back. I think he's doing a fantastic job. Maybe perhaps not as um, savvy at getting forward as Matt Lawton is. I don't think he creates as much as he does, but defensively, there's, there's not an awful lot between them. Um, James, were you happy, surprised? Are you sort of not... I guess what we talked about with with the Stoke game in that the defence is kind of interchangeable. Are we really not that concerned now with players coming in and out as long as the defence stays the same or are you wanting Matt Lawton to come back as quickly as possible? Um, personally, I was very surprised to see uh, uh, Matt on the bench. I thought um, that maybe he was there because he, he wasn't 100% yet and he needed another game, but it, it looks as though Dyche just felt that Bardsley had earned his spot. Um, it's a little bit unusual. I think we've touched on this in, in podcasts before for a player in a, a dash side to lose their place due to injury. So I was a little bit surprised to see that he, he didn't put Lawton straight back in. I mean, I'm not going to argue with uh, how Bardsley's played. He has been sensational. He's been uh, a more than adequate standard. But I, like you said, I think Lawton offers obviously a little bit more going forward. Um, and future-wise, obviously, he's the, the younger player. I think he's the, you know, the, the one that you'd, see longer term playing for us at right back but he's going to have to guess wait for his chance um, I mean the way it's been going the last couple of games no doubt Bars is going to get injured suspended or something like that soon and Lawton might have had himself back in the side but obviously hopefully that's not the case um, and hopefully Bars doesn't have a bad game so um, as much as I've, I've enjoyed what uh, Matt's done for us this season uh, and I'd love to see him back in the side I think you, you've got to say that hopefully we don't see him back in the side because if we don't then uh, something's still something's going right for wrong. us <laughs> Yeah that's true uh, Well actually indeed something has gone wrong for us with our defence and uh, I think this is quite an opportune moment to discuss our centre-half James Tarkovsky, a player who this season has stepped up in place of Michael Keane and has been um, the focus for most games, really, for his outstanding defensive ability alongside Ben Mee and just how much he's shining this season in his first proper season in the Premier League. Unfortunately, this week, he is in the spotlight for a very different reason, an off-the-ball incident where he elbowed Mason, Brighton player Mason, in the ribs and has today been charged by the FA retrospectively for violent conduct. Um, a couple of things that I want to talk about with, with Tarkovsky and I wanted to caveat this entire section listeners with the um, fact that we are huge fans of James Tarkovsky so this isn't a negative section on him this isn't a massive dig at him I think he's doing phenomenally well he has stepped up fantastically and he is going to be a fantastic player going forward for the future what I want to concentrate on him here is perhaps some naivety that is springing into his game um, in these early stages while he does get some more um, 
games under his belt and before he really settles into Premier League life properly. Um, two things, I think the first one, James, is that he has now conceded um, a couple of penalties um, in... Well, it's harsh to say because the penalties are quite tame penalties and the ones where you would look at and say that, that you know they can't you've seen them given that you've seen them not given they are pretty harsh but he keeps putting himself in these positions where he's inviting the players to die for them or, or try and buy the penalty or just put themselves in a position where they the referee has to give the penalty I mean do you see that James do you see um, naivety creeping into him like I say a couple of penalties now that he has he's conceded and he's allowed the defender to you know get in sorry he's allowed the forwards to get in a position where they can buy a ref you know buy the referee's decision and and basically give the referee very little um choice but to give penalties do you see that as naivety or do you see that as him just being unfortunate in conceding these penalties um no i don't think he's, he's been naive to be honest you know he's, he's given away a couple of penalties i think um if you're going to say one's one's naive maybe the the arsenal one um but then again i i, I can't remember who it was but um whoever was there from sky uh, at the turf that day from sky sports um I said, oh, he's you know he's just got his arms on his back, and uh, you know Ramsey's made the most of the opportunity. And he said, well, if he hasn't got his hands on his back, then he's never going to win the ball. Uh, and he's he's absolutely correct. You know, the only way to to be challenging for those balls is to be tied to someone. And to do that, you know, football's a contact sport. You're going to have to be in contact with them. Um, you know, does he push him? Maybe maybe a little bit. Um, I think you know if, if there's any level of naivety there, it's Maybe uh, not realising the the lengths players, some players in the Premier League will go to 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 make the most of contact. Um, I think the Murray one is a, a completely different kettle of fish. To be honest, there's not much more he can do. He's defending well. He's goal side. He's you know he's using his body, but he's not being physical. Um, and Murray goes looking for it. Murray goes. It's one of the most you know. Blatant. Um, I think it might even be worse than Bernardo Silva's like leg drag. You know, he he sticks his foot in and basically locks his foot in between uh, Tarky's legs, and he goes down. And he's in a position where the referee's not going to see that it's deliberate. To me, that's just you know very very. I'm trying to think of the the right word. Deceitful play for Murray. Um, and I think Murray's gaining a bit of a reputation for it, to be honest. I think he's, you know, a player that if he continues playing the way he does, he's going to see referees start to not give him penalties that are, are penalties. Um, yeah, that's a really good point, I, actually. I think Barnes gets it to a, a little extent at, at Burnley, maybe not with penalties, but some of these 50-50s that are, you know, balls in the air. I think referees know that he's obviously a physical player and he, he tends to, you know, relish the battles. And as a result, he's not necessarily getting the 50-50s. He's not getting, you know, those little balls on the halfway line where, you know, the defenders put his shoulder in his back or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and Murray's going to go the same way because he, he's getting a little bit of reputation for it. And, you know, there was a battle there going all game. And I think um, all Tarkovsky's guilty of is maybe not knowing when to, to step away. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, well, one thing he isn't naive in terms of one thing I think is um, is more deliberate and calculated was, of course, the off the ball incident where he has been charged today with by the FA for violent conduct. Now, I don't, I don't think we could, I don't even know if we'd need to analyse this, James, because that was just, it just lost his head, hadn't he? And I think it was very, very stupid play by him and one that I really hope he learns his lesson from. If he does... Um, if he is found guilty um, over this charge, he does face a three-game ban. And I think most disappointing for him is that he'll miss the trip to Old Trafford on Boxing Day, which is going to be a massive disappointment for him because we understand he's a huge United fan. And I think um, that's a pretty harsh lesson. But I don't think we can have any excuses, can we? It was an awful challenge. He just lashes out at him and, and you know digs an, um, an elbow in his ribs. I can't imagine that Darch is particularly very happy about that. Can you? No, I'd imagine Tash gave him uh, quite a bit of a talking <laughs> to after imagine. that one. Firstly, I'd like to say, it's don't condone it, but he got away with it at the time, which shows he was at least a little bit clever about how he did it. Um, maybe he's forgotten that obviously there's cameras everywhere in Premier League games and your chances of getting away with something like that at the Premier League level are pretty pretty slim. Um, you know, I think if you did it in the, even, you know, League One, um, you you probably get away with it uh, but at the Premier League there's, there's no chance there's always going to be a camera angle that, that shows what happened um, at the same time again Murray makes a hell of a lot of it um, yes he elbows him it's you know it looks like quite a sharp jab to the to the ribs but Murray goes down like he's had one of his ribs removed um, <laughs> and it's almost it's almost nice to see that in the moment the referee wasn't um wasn't influenced by that obviously it is a foul it should be a penalty but um you know murray's exaggeration of of what happened hasn't benefited him um which is good to see i think hopefully next time murray will not you know consider not rolling around on the floor and Gripping himself up, he's about to die. Um, but it, it's it's naive. That is one thing that he's obviously done. There, it's naive. But I think it's it's frustration coming through. Ultimately, um, you know the the battle's been going on. Um, he you know feels obviously Murray's simulated or manu- maybe more manufactured uh, a penalty for himself, uh, and he's not happy with the outcome. And he you know he's just going to get the better of him, and he's he's. You know, give him a little elbow. Um, I think much worse things have happened in football, to be honest. But um, he, he, he's probably going to get a free match bad. And I think you can't really have too many complaints of that. It's a real shame looking at the games coming up. We could have really done with him not doing that. But um, I'm pretty sure it's a lesson that he'll, yeah, he'll yeah, learn. Yeah. And uh, he, he's not going to be elbowing people off the ball no. again in a hurry. But I think you say that about... Um, three games that we could really do with with him being there. Arguably, they are, you know, he's going to miss, what's he going to miss? He's going to miss Spurs at home, United away and Huddersfield away. Out of those three games, Huddersfield away is probably the one that we would be looking at getting three points from. And, and as much as we are enjoying this elevated position in the league, Spurs and, and United are going to be hard games where we probably, even with a full-strength side playing their absolute best, probably won't win. 
um, just because, you know, the top six sides are top six sides for a reason. They are fantastic players. So actually in that respect, I, they, they, my, I, I would disagree with that. I would say actually they're probably the two of the best side, sorry, best games that we can lose him for because at least we get them out of the way. Um, and Kevin Long has proven so far that he can deputise um, very, very well. So I think for the, for the Huddersfield game, we should have enough with, with Long in there to, to be able to beat them. Um, so let's let's just see how that one plays out for Tarkovsky. But like James quite obviously says, I think this is going to be a lesson he's going to have to learn um, because you just simply can't do that. And I'm seeing a lot of things on Twitter today about conspiracy theories and how you know it wouldn't be it wouldn't be banned, it wouldn't be charged if it wasn't Burnley. And we, I just I'm not buying any of that. He absolutely deserves a ban from this, and he should be um, very sorry for his behaviour because I think it's a, it's a pretty terrible um, elbow, and I think he needs to stamp that out of his game completely. Um, was that a, just before we move on? Was that a little slip into the old mentality we heard there, saying it that was a little bit you know, got just enough to beat Huddersfield and I know. two good games to lose in for? I, I think you're right. I think I did. I slipped into last season, then didn't I? Yeah. We're, we're about to play two teams that are in and around <laughs> us. Um, you're right. Yeah, must win games. Those are the games that solidify your, your league position. Huddersfield. That's just. Just another game, yeah, isn't you're it? Right. Like, I have no comeback. Bottom half fodder. James, you're right. <laughs> You've absolutely busted me. I, I don't know what I was thinking, then, listeners. I'm sorry. I think you know. Gosh, flipping heck, Tarkovsky. We needed you to cement that fourth place finish. Now I'm annoyed at him. I'm going to tweet him now and tell him that he's an idiot. No, I'm not really. I'm not. Really. And I don't encourage any listeners to do that either. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for that. James is right. Can we all concentrate on that as the the takeaway from that momentum? That sorry, that from that section is that we we are playing. Spurs and United, and we're going to beat them to cement that top four place. Um, nothing else much more to talk about, really, from the Brighton game. Again, it was just another good defensive display where we saw a game out. Um, Chris Wood, again, had another um, goal chalked off for offside, which looked marginal, to say the very least. Um, it's kind of frustrating, really, James, that we've scored three goals in the last two games, all of which have been deemed to be offside. I and mean, There was an argument for all of them that they were actually onside, Um I don't think the replays and the technology we've had to assess those goals have looked pretty conclusive. And I refuse to believe for one second that those linesmen can see at full speed in real time that those were offside when we're struggling to see it ourselves at slow motion, um, zoomed in with, you know, in, in television replays. So, you know, maybe we talked early on about not having as many goals with us. It's been a quiet spell for Chris Wood. But also, if you think about it, we, we should really have scored three more goals over the last two games than we have done. So, you know, maybe it's not as concerning as we thought it was. Um Moving away from those games, James, I think just to wrap up this week's podcast, we are um, quite rightly finishing on a high, regardless of of, um, of the uh, you know fury surrounding Tarkovsky's ban. What are you expecting from the Christmas period? We've got, um, like I said earlier on, we've got Spurs at home and United away. I guess, number one, how do you think we'll perform against those big teams? And number two, what's your expected points return please um obviously it's, it's two massive massively difficult games um but manchester united i think uh you know where they are in spite of their form rather than because of it um that they're not playing the best football um you know and that they're a team I think we can go and beat in, in their own ground. You know, we've obviously been to Stamford Bridge this season and won. Um, we've done very well, I think, at all the big sides ground apart from uh, Man City so far this season. I think Man City are a league above everyone this year. Um, you know, it's really just clicked for them and they're, they're going to walk the, the title. Um, 
but I think anyone else is fair game. Um, you know, the way we've been playing this season, definitely an opportunity there to to get what would be a massive win. I think it'd be a symbolic win. Um, you know, that that might be the the sort of win that makes people feel like we do really deserve to be where we are and sort of remind people of the the glory days really. Um, you know, where we, we did play those sort of sides at those sort of grounds and, and get results regularly. Um Spurs at home to a really interesting prospect. I still feel like we've just not not played our best football yet at home. I feel like there's more to come. Um but it's to me it's a, a good time for the game. Um uh, you know, an evening kickoff on a Saturday, it's looking like it could be another wet one at the turf. Uh, you know, a bit of wind and I think a lot of the sort of players that, that Spurs have just won't be comfortable in that environment. Um it's a real opportunity to to put two performances where, you know, we've got decent enough results, but we've probably not played the way we'd like. I'm sure Dash has had them in the video room, uh, you know, looking at aspects of those games and, and looking at how we could improve. And I think we'll we'll take that into the, the Spurs game. And it's a, a real opportunity to, to get a big win at home against a, a big side. I don't think we've had many of the big sides come yet. Is it only Arsenal who've, who've yeah, been to the turf? Yeah, thinking that for It is only Arsenal. Um, yeah, we've got them all to play, yeah. And, you know, we're massively unlucky against them. Um, massively unlucky. I thought, first half, we were the, the better team. We were by far the better team against Arsenal. And I think if we get... Um, if we play like that first half against Spurs, but take our chances, um, which is what we obviously we didn't do against Arsenal, then it it could be a, a, a comfortable game for us, as, as crazy as that sounds. Um, saying that, I, I'm not going to go all super positive and say, oh, from those two games, we're going to get six points. I think that would be um, a bolder person than me to, to make that claim. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if we came out of that with, with four points. Um Saying that, if you said to me now, uh, two draws, I'd, I'd take it. Um, definitely would against two teams like that. But I think I've, I've just got a feeling that we'll get three or four points. Um, uh, either win one, draw one, or win one, lose one. Um, but I, I really can't see us not not getting a win out of one of the two. I like it. I like this positivity. Um, I'm very similar to you in, in how I feel about these games. I'm feeling very positive about Spurs at home. I think they are um, they're going to find it hard to come to turf and p- break down our play. Um, so I'm feeling hugely encouraged, and I agree with you. I genuinely think the the minimum we can expect is uh, is a point at uh, home to Spurs. I think United's a slightly different kettle of fish. Old Trafford's a very very difficult game to go to and I'm not entirely sure we usually do that well on Boxing Day I'd be quite interested to see what our Boxing Day form's like but I seem to have got it into my head that Burnley tend to not play that well um, and haven't been that um, positive in terms of, of results um, on Boxing Day fixtures but maybe that's just, I'm just remembering the ones that were quite horrific. I think um, a couple of years ago the championship winning side was, that was our lowest point wasn't it when we were away to Hull on Boxing Day and got beat, was it 4-0? Um, and then went on a 23 game unbeaten run to win the title so maybe it's just the high profile ones that stick in my head and it's given me that um, that maybe skewered vision. Um, so I'm not maybe not expecting anything from um, United but I do feel like we can and get something but I'm going to I'm going to say we're going to get 
either one or two points. I think a draw at home against Spurs and either a draw or a loss away at United. Um, before we wrap up this week's podcast, then um, I'm going to hand the reins over to James for five minutes because he's got some housekeeping matters to wrap up, some competitions that have been won, some special offer calls that are still ongoing. James, over to you. So we'll kick off first. We're just talking about the the, the book competition that we ran um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, delighted to say that uh, Bryn Jones uh, was the winner of the, the copy of From Orient to the Emirates. Um, Pitch Publishing are, are working on sending it out to him. Uh, so congratulations again, Bryn. Um, we're going to be doing another competition from Pitch Publishing early in the next year, probably, um, looking at giving away a copy of Dave Thomas's new book. Um, and I should have a review of the from the Orient to the Emirates gate from from Orient to the Emirates uh, book uh, coming up over the Christmas period. Um, so I, I just need to sit down and record that separately for us to to slot that into one of our podcasts. Um, the other competition we ran uh, for quite a long time over our social media was the Savile Rogue uh, scarf competition. Um, they have picked a winner of that. I'm not sure who it is, but they've been in contact with uh, the winner. So congratulations to you. Um, but from Savile Rogue, we do as well still have a, a discount token that is valid till the end of the year. So if you fancy getting yourself one of the very nice cashmere scarves in claret colours, um, very understated, uh, but also a very nice, great gift for if anyone's coming up with a birthday, probably if you know someone who likes their uh, good quality clothing. Um, we have the voucher code NNN10 and that'll get you 10% off until the end of the year so do take a look and see if there's anything you like Good stuff. Well, that brings this week's podcast to a close. Thanks as ever to James for joining me and thanks to Kevin who will be editing this week's podcast. Kevin is taking a small break from recording on the podcast at the moment, but he's still very much part of the team and is helping us edit this week. So thank you, Kevin. Um, Thanks most importantly, though, go to you, the listener, for downloading and listening to this podcast. We would not be here without you and your support is hugely, hugely appreciated. Um, Best Wishes are finally from myself and from James and from the whole of the Non and Ever team for the Christmas period. We all do hope you have a very Merry Christmas and a very happy and prosperous New Year. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Non and Ever podcast. Until next time. This time last year. Well, let's crack on. We're going to start with the Spurs game, which was on Sunday at Wysock Lane. Burnley scored a goal, but still lost. And I think we've, we've talked before about a potential mental problem away from home um, and, you know, a psychological barrier that's getting in the, these players' heads. And I didn't feel any of that yesterday watching the game. Adam's back from travelling all over New Zealand. Yeah, the, well, the first thing to say is I've, I've really sort of struggled to keep up with everything. It's, it's quite hard because you're in a totally different time zone to uh, than you used to. Um, so, but also, he was in an earthquake. Yeah, I, I wasn't in an earthquake. Um, <laughs> moving on. Uh, we, uh, I went into the game expecting absolutely nothing. I'd heard... Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.